the third Thursday of every month, pastors and church leaders from near and far gather together for a time of friendship, gospel encouragement, and ministry insights in the warehouse at the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. The following audio is from one such third Thursday gathering. All right, we're going to get started, y'all. Thanks for being here today. Um, Today we have the privilege, the honor um, of having one of my favorite people um, and mentors, my first big brother um, in Nashville and church planting in general, uh, Pastor Randy Drawn, come and share with us. Um, My wife and I talk about Randy often as the impact that he's had in my life, um, on the life of our church. And uh, it's no exaggeration that, that we would not be here if it weren't for Pastor Randy's impact on my life. Um, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be in Nashville anymore. Probably the access wouldn't be a thing anymore. Um, not even sure if I'd be married still. Um, and Jill would back up all this as well. Uh, you probably don't know the impact, but it's very, very true. And it's said behind your back as well as to your face now. Um, really thankful for you been looking forward to this time. Thanks for taking some time to spend with us. Um, he's, he planted and has been pastoring uh, Midtown, and they have many campuses around Nashville. The Lord's hand is truly um, blessed his work and his effort, his energy, and it hasn't been easy. Um, it's been extremely difficult. Um, he's fought some intense battles and uh, has made some tough calls in order to be in the ministry as long as he has it, you know, you, you have those moments. And Midtown was planted how many years ago? 2001. Wow. Wow. Yeah, 10 years ago. That's what it feels like in some ways, 100 years ago in other ways. Um, but I'm going to pray for Pastor Randy. You can come on up and make ready if you want to, brother. Um, and uh, thank you all for, for being here. Um, and feel free to continue to get up and grab some more food. Uh, grab some more coffee and water. If you need bathrooms, it's through these doors and then straight down the hall. Um, is the guy's restroom, and the ladies is to the right at the end of the hall. We're going to get to work. Excited about this time. Lord, thank you so much um, for our friends here. Thank you for the pastors, the ministers, the staffers that are here that have uh, taken some time out of their routines and schedules to be here to make this happen. Thank you for Jordan and his hard work setting everything up. Um, thank you for his dedication to, to serve many churches through Third Thursdays. Thank you for Pastor Randy um, getting in his vehicle, saying no to several other things in order to come here uh, to be with us today. Bless him for this, I pray, and and use him to be a light um, to us, to be an encouragement to us. Um, Lord, thank you for his authenticity, his humility, um, his winsomeness, yet his... uh, his stout posture and in his strength of his faith towards you and his belief in you um, come hell or high water, just the way that he's continued onward in this city, um, knowing that, that many of us, if not all of us, are standing on his shoulders and on shoulders of many other pastors, Lord, that have put in a lot of time before we even showed up. So we thank you for that grace and blessing. Be with our time. Lord, be with, be with us. Let us learn. Let us absorb. Um, and let us leave different, having met with you through your friend and son, Pastor Randy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. kind of feel like you should bench press one of us before I start. <laughs> so, hey, uh, seriously, it's really a privilege uh, to be with you guys. And I don't know you, but I know Jeremy. 
and uh, he's a guy that I've loved deeply and respected deeply as our lives have not intersected all the time, but from a distance, we've kind of watched each other's ministries. We find excuses to get together and eat together uh, and try to inspire one another. And there was actually a season where I tried to hire him. I'm like, dude, give up the access dream. Come to work for Midtown. <laughs> Didn't work out. Uh, but we're not done yet, bro. <laughs> not done yet. So uh, I think that the loosey-goosey nature of today is I get to talk about anything I want to talk about. I was given no topic, and I was like musing on that and saying that's definitely Jeremy. Uh <laughs> Like, I, I was thinking, man, you know, what, what can I do? Maybe I'll just be, you know, Holy Spirit-led and just whatever I'm studying in the Bible in this season that I'll just bring it to you guys. And I was in 2 Kings 6 this week where Elijah is uh, with all his prophets or his little prophets. He's the big prophet and all his little minions. And where they were meeting was too small, so they decided to go build a bigger place and one of his minions goes and borrows an axe, and as he's chopping, the head flies off into the river. You know this story? <laughs> Your pastors, you should know this story. And the head goes flying off into the river, and Elijah comes on, and the guy's going, help me, help me. You know, it's a borrowed axe. And he throws a stick in the water, and the axe head rises to the top. And I, I wish I could have brought my journal up here to talk about all the application from that. Don't ever build a house of God with a borrowed axe. Make your own application there. If you have low iron, just throw sticks at each other. Uh, don't build a house of God near a river. Like, I couldn't come up with any. So we're not going to go into the Bible. You'd, I'm not going to teach you a Bible lesson. Um, and I could talk about, and I thought about, could I teach you how to plant a church? Because um, that's been a big part of my life for the last 20 years is we started Midtown with about two people, and now we have six campuses, and we're all over the city. And I could talk about uh, how to spend time with the Holy Spirit and have vision. And then I could also teach you, as we teach our guys, how to put objectives and goals and strategies and even measurables around the vision that God has given you. I could talk to you about how to galvanize people to a vision and lead. I mean, we've done all that. Um, I could talk about preaching. I've done that for a long time. Um, and I could say all the mistakes I've made in preaching and um, all the things that um, I would encourage you not to do. But, you know, as, as I thought about all that stuff, I'm, I have no idea who you are. <clears throat> so it ended up in me saying to the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? And, and this is literally what I felt the Lord said. What do you want to do? So here's what I want to do. I believe that life, my life, and I believe this is true about you too, even though I don't know you, is in many ways kind of like a three-layer cake. And the bottom layer, this layer down here, is the brutal reality that's true about your life. It's true about your relationships. It's true about your ministry. It's true about where you are emotionally, where you are relationally, where you are spiritually, where you are physically. All This, this down here is the reality level that if you have the courage to see it, that's what real life is. The top layer is this layer of expectations. It's the expectations of what you want life to be, what you would like to see all these areas of your life become 
or you would like for them to eventually be or you would love for them to be today. And what I want to talk about is that middle layer because that layer between your expectations and reality is called disappointment. And how we deal with disappointment in our life is going to mark our entire lives. And let me tell you why. Because there's not a place in my life that I don't experience disappointment. If I'm honest, there's not a place in my life where reality never meets expectations. I mean, let's just talk about marriage for a minute. Like, I have so many expectations of what I would want my marriage to be like what my relationship with my wife would be like, what I would like for her to be like, to be. So many expectations up here, but the reality is that those, the reality doesn't meet the expectation, which creates oftentimes in our marriage a lot of disappointment in each other and in ourselves. Can you relate to that? It was true for us. This was 10 years ago. Jeremy knows some of this story. I went to the leadership of our church. Uh, we had uh, built this church that was exploding. And then we started to start other campuses. And I went to the leadership of my church. And I said, hey, guys, um, i got to be honest with you. I'm done with my marriage. I'm done. I don't love her. I don't think she loves me. We don't get along. This is not working, and I can't do it anymore. And um, those guys came and wrapped their arms around me, and they said, hey, brother, um, whatever happens from here forward, it's going to happen with all of us by your side. We're going to walk this story with you, and the first thing we're going to tell you to do is to stop working. But the reality of my marriage didn't meet the expectations, and there was this massive disappointment. But it's also true about ministry, like how many of you are actually working right now in ministry, part-time or full-time? Or all of you? Like, I don't know who y'all are. Okay. Yeah, you see, see the disappointment there already? Is that great expectations <laughs> in reality. I mean, we could talk about it. We could list, like, everything in ministry that we have expectations. You know, Lord, I want a revival. I want to see you do amazing and astounding works in lives of people. And... It's funny, we often talk among our staff, uh, uh, our pastor preaching staff, because we have preachers at each one of our campuses, and we talk about that when we're preparing sermons, that it feels like we're experiencing God in sermons in technicolor, but then when we get up in front of people and start uh, speaking, it only comes out in black and white. And we spend a lot of time talking about the post-sermon blues. It was John Stott, who was one of the professors at the seminary I went to, and he was at All Souls Church in London, one of the most uh, gifted orators, unbelievable preacher, rocked London with his teaching, his writings, uh, a juggernaut by any standard. Go read the introduction to his book, Between Two Worlds. And he basically says, every Sunday when I step down from the pulpit, I swear to God, I'll never do that again. Never do it again, because how he feels about it are so vastly different from uh, the reality of what actually happened. And how do you deal with that disappointment? It's true about kids. Um, I don't know uh, if you have kids, uh, but as a parent, we have vast expectations for our children. And I'm not talking about like cruel, like 
I'm going to stay on you, and uh, I'm going to be an abusive parent. I'm talking about we, we want great and beautiful things for our children. We want to see them flourish. We want to see them thrive. We want to see them uh, explore their gifts and how God made them and become all that God intended them to be. Great expectations. The reality is often very different. It was eight years ago that um, my 25-year-old son died through a crazy orchestration of mixed prescribed drugs, he died in his sleep. On the night that he moved into the house with his little brother, who just graduated from college. Boy, I got to tell you, that wasn't my expectation. That reality right there created this massive gap, this middle layer of disappointment. What do you do with that? How do, you, how do you deal with that? And then let's just talk about people that you minister to. Whew. Reality, expectations. There's a mass disappointment. I remember the first couple, we started Midtown. This was uh, Portland Brew over on 12 South, if any of you have been there. It used to be cubicles. They thought that was really cool was to build cubicles in there. It was the only coffee shop on 12 South. Everything else was a crime scene. You could get drugs and prostitutes on that street. Our office was on that street because it was the cheapest place in town to get office. Uh, and I was sitting in there with a professor from Vanderbilt who was there to have coffee with me to tell me that him and his wife are leaving Midtown. And I'm like, Sal, what do you mean y'all are leaving Midtown? And he goes, hey man, it's not you, but we want to go we want to go to a place that's like gospel-centered. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, right? The knife through the heart. Because reality and expectation sometimes are not together, and there's this huge place of disappointment. So, what do you do with that? Well, there's a lot of things you can do with it. One is that you can lower your expectations. Um, you can actually... You can so lower your expectations that when it says in Scripture that the Lord will give you the desires of your heart that you have no desires anymore. You don't want anything. You're done. You're done caring. You're done wanting. You're done trying. Uh, you just want to get through the day. You just want to get through the week. You just want everybody to leave you alone. You're tired of caring. And you're just kind of numbing yourself and going on. Some of you uh, may say the way I deal with that disappointment is I drink a lot. I was with a guy this morning who, he has changed the city. I won't tell you his name, but literally I'm sitting with a legend of this city. And I said, so I know that every leader has to learn how to deal with fear. Because every decision we make as leaders in some way is imperfect. But when we make that decision, we have no idea how it's imperfect. So we have to deal with the fear of knowing that decision in some ways is imperfect. And if I don't deal with my fear, my fear is going to sabotage the decision-making process. And I looked at him and I said, how would you deal with your fear? He said, for years I drank. I said, really? He said, yeah, man, it almost got a hold of me. He said, man, I'd go home and, man, I'd, you know, I called it, I love fine wine. And he said, it really wasn't that fine. It was just wine, and it was a bottle every night. You know, Larry Crabb, um, who in my day was kind of the guy you turned to, he said that there are three kinds of men in this world. There's addicted men, there are dead men, 
and then there are men that are fully alive. And here's what I have to say to you guys, and this is, and gals, great to have you with us, uh, is I want to suggest a way that we deal with the disappointment. Because you're going to have it. If you don't have it uh, now, uh, that may be a problem. Um, but you're going to have it. So the first thing I would ask you to do um, is to consider this. Um, well, let me say this before we talk about that. This is going to sound like a do, a do talk. Go do. Um, so let me, let me frame it before I say anything. The gospel is not about do. It's about done. We know that uh, the gospel is about me receiving from the Lord and then the Lord asking me uh, to experience more fully what I've received from him by giving it away. Uh, for example, like I, I know when people say, well, how do you forgive? First, you've got to go to the one who gives forgiveness. We know the story of the servant who didn't forgive, and in the same way you forgive, so you'll be forgiven. So he experienced forgiveness and then was able then to go and give, give that forgiveness, and that's what we do. We go and get our pockets full of forgiveness so that we can go give for, uh, forgiveness to those around us. The same with generosity. You want to be a, a generous person? Understand the generosity the Father's given to you, that all things come from him. We grow in understanding, oh, he's just pouring his blessings on me, on me, on me, on me. And then that now gives us the courage to be like our Father and go be generous. And love's the same way. You know, it's not that we love, but that he loved us first. So we, we get love. We grasp his love, the height, the depth, the width, the length, all of that. And it fills us with the very fullness of God. And what is the fullness of God? Love. And we love because we've been loved. So we... The gospel is all about going and getting. So if I have a loving problem, I don't have a loving problem. I have a getting problem. Does that make sense? Then I'm not letting myself be loved. That's why I'm having a hard time loving other people. If I have a hard time forgiving other people, it's because I'm having a hard time receiving the forgiveness of God. Because the truth, and here's just a little side what I give to me and what I let the Lord give to me is what I'm going to eventually give to everybody else. So if you can't forgive you, guess what? Your wife is in big trouble. And husband. Are you married? Okay. Because what we give ourselves, we give to others. So the gospel is about giving or getting before we ever give. So I want, I want to frame it that way so that you hear that I'm not challenging you to go and fix yourself. I'm challenging you now to go and experience the gospel. So the first thing is, how do we walk into that disappointment? How do we walk into that gap between reality and expectations? The first thing you do is invite yourself into the disappointment. I know that. It sounds uh, so simplistic. But do you know what's going on inside of you? Are you aware of what's happening with you? The reason I ask that is because many of us spend our entire lives avoiding ourselves. We never get quiet. We never have a moment where we're just listening to what's going on with ourselves. And a lot of times it's because the way we were raised, we were never taught to, taught to stop. And when we did stop, what started to come to the surface are the very things I've been trained my whole life to avoid. I mean, I was taught growing up in the South that there, there are things like sadness that are bad. 
Anger, bad. Loneliness, bad. And if you're feeling all those things, you better get rid of that fast because Jesus has got a mission for you. You don't want you wasting all your time and all this sadness and this loneliness and this hurt and this anger. You need to get busy. In fact, maybe some of you uh, are like this. I, when I grew up in the South, um, there was only one acceptable emotion or one way to feel, and it was anger. Like in the world that I grew up in, you could be angry. You know, play football or sports. or You could be angry. That was acceptable. You could go to school. How you doing, man? I'm just pissed off. I'm just angry. And, but if you go to school and say, how you doing, man? You know, man, I'm just really feeling lonely today. What? Yeah, I'm struggling with sadness. I'm just sad. And why are you sad? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just feeling melancholy. Like that was never acceptable. And then I became a Christian and here's, here's what Christianity did for me. Uh, it introduced me to the bully on the playground, which was joy. Joy was the bully that bullied every other emotion because, hey, what do you do? Put on a happy face, man. Rejoice in the Lord. Be happy. And if you're feeling sad, something's wrong, you better bring some joy into there. And joy would come and bully every storyline inside of me, out of me. I wasn't allowed to be in any other place than in a good place because I'm with Jesus. So I don't know your story. I don't know what your experience is with having the courage to be aware of yourself, to know what that disappointment is, for you to be honest enough with yourself to talk about to yourself how disappointed you are because I think about, like, hurt, you know, hurt can lead to healing. You know, loneliness can lead to intimacy. Sadness can lead to acceptance. Anger can lead to passion. Fear can lead to wisdom and not being alone. Shame can lead to humility. Guilt can lead to forgiveness. Gladness can lead to joy. And that word can is is really significant. It can. But before I can be there, I have to be here. And do you know where you are? Where is your disappointment? How are you feeling today? So the first is, um, that took me a long time to learn. And y'all may be way ahead of the game. I, I was better at telling you uh, how I was doing two weeks ago than I was at telling you how I'm doing right now. Like, I, I kind of had this connection in distance. Like, I could tell you, like, like, hey, man, how you doing? I don't know. But, man, you know what I was thinking about the other day? Last year was really hard. Like, last year was a killer for me. Did you know that then? No, no. I, just looking back on it, I realized, oh, wow, that that was really difficult. But I, 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 it took me a long time to start shortening the distance between yesterday, today, and now. And it took a lot of practice um, to be there. Because the second point is essential. That The second point is now I've invited myself into myself. Now I invite God into my disappointment. I'm inviting God to be with me. 
And here's what I learned quickly. God has no interest in that fake me. That me that wants to uh, put on an image, wants to put on a show, wants to perform for you. I saw an interview with Jim Carrey the other day, and he's leaving the movie business. Do y'all know this? Am I late to this party? And he said, uh, Ace Ventura was just a character I played, and so was Jim Carrey. And he said, you know what's crazy about your body? He says, your body doesn't have the capacity to sustain a character for very long until it quits on you. And I believe that's true, too, is that our soul, our spirits, don't have the capacity to prop up the false self for an entire lifetime. And I think it's because God's not interested in that false self. He's interested in you. But we're not really interested in us. Because we've learned, especially in ministry, that real me isn't what everybody else wants. The, 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 the real me uh, is not going to get the ministry done. The real me is not going to give the great talks. The real me is just going to bring my broken need of Jesus. And nobody wants that because I don't want that. It seems like my father, that's the only one that he wants. It was a friend of mine who took me to Psalm 81, and we spent a lot of time meditating on this one verse where the Lord says, open your mouth and I will fill it. I was like, what? Open your mouth and I will fill it. And I was so busy stuffing my mouth that I had no clue what opening my mouth meant. Like, what are you hungry for? Like, what are you really hungry for? What is it that your soul is just so deeply desiring from the Lord? Because when you walk into that disappointment between reality and your expectations, and you're being crushed by it, what is really going on with you? The Lord says, open your mouth and I'll fill it. In other words, do you know what you're hungry for? And let me read you a couple of psalms because we are definitely late to this party because David had no problem with this. Like in Psalm 42, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Let him fill it, and I will praise him, my Savior, my God. He had no problem saying, Hey, the train has come off the tracks. In Psalm 73, he says, When my heart was grieved, and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. Yet I was always with you. What he's saying there is when I was so racked by grief, and if you don't know grief, like life, like slam dunked my wife and I in grief when our son died. Like I could not see straight. Uh, And God took me through a row with my mentors and my friends and people that held us up through that season. And what it taught me is, if you don't know how to grieve, you're in trouble. Because life is about loss. Life, that disappointment, if you don't have the courage to walk into that with yourself and then invite the Lord into that place, if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you. Probably everyone in this room... um, if you're not an alcoholic, you probably have somebody in your family that's an alcoholic or somebody in your church that's an alcoholic. And what I'm about to say, you, you've probably already experienced, and that is if you don't deal, if you're an alcoholic and you don't deal with your alcoholism, 
you force everybody in your life to deal with it. It's true. My mom was an addict. She's still an addict. And she has never dealt with that. And I'll tell you, my two brothers and I, we've had to deal with that. Because we've had to deal with the pain and the experience of the grief and the sadness of not coming from a home like some of y'all came from, where your parents actually were interested in you. And they cared about you. And they nurtured you. And they cared for you. The psalm shows us that all that messy stuff, all that disappointment, the Lord is interested in it. As raw as it gets, it's good. In Psalm 13, it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? What do you think is going on there? You ever felt that way? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day, sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? If you have never been there, it's coming. It's coming. Because we are men and women that are walking in to this world with a message of hope. And that lonely road of dealing with our hearts and asking God to come into that place in our hearts is necessary. I could read a lot more, but, you know, uh, when I was a kid, we all went to the city pool, and uh, we would snag those orange life jackets from the fence. So this was back in the 70s, all right? This is before they had cool ones. And... Uh, you know the kind where you put over your head and you strap that funky strap around you? And our game was, who can push the life jacket to the bottom of the pool? Have you ever played this with a life jacket or something that floats? You're like, and you're kicking and you're, you know, you're just trying to get it all the way down. And eventually, uh, you can't, or you can, but then you got to come up for air. But that life jacket always kind of takes on a life of its own. And when it gets to the surface... The deeper you go, the more it's going to explode on the surface. <laughs> then we'd find a beach ball. Have you ever tried that with a beach ball? Like, you know, holding that beach ball under the water? I'm going to tell you, you can, you can avoid the disappointment. And you can become a skillful master of pushing it to the bottom of the pool. But it will not be ignored. And it's going to come splashing to the surface in one way or another. I promise you. It's one of the most freeing things to know that God wants all that stuff inside of me that I find so difficult to speak out loud. So I do a prayer retreat. <clears throat> I try to do one a couple times a year. And I always try to do it in the wintertime if it's only once a year. And I go to the beach, um, which... Some people laugh, like, wow, you go on a prayer retreat at the beach? Yes, I do. And uh, I love going to the beach. Um, it's a happy place for me. But um, the real reason that I go there is because it's the one place that I can go, and I'm walking on the beach, that, that I can scream. And uh, nobody can hear it. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a place in your life where you just got to scream to God? God, I don't understand. This, this disappointment is too big. It's too vast. And I, I'm just screaming to you, and i got to tell you how angry I am with you because you're the master of all things. And the Lord, whenever I do that, it's like, good. Now we're ready to do some business. 
now that it's all on the table. And this last season, it was back in November, um, I don't know if you've ever read any of James K. Smith's stuff. He wrote a commentary on Augusta. And I came across it's his, his meditations on Augusta's writings. And he has this quote in there that became <clears throat> the quote where the Lord met me in my disappointment. He said, every man is looking for a father. But that desire of looking for a father actually covers up a deeper desire which is every man's deeper desire is that there's a father looking for them. And I, I wrote that on a big piece of paper, and I glued it to the wall of this beach house. Uh, and it wrecked me because the Lord says, now let it all out because I'm coming for you. That's a scary thing when the holy decides to come and meet you. It's a beautiful thing. Invite yourself into your story. <clears throat> Invite God into your story. He's not afraid of you. Trust me. He's not afraid of your doubts, your pain, your disappointment, your anger, your lies, your sins, all your hidden sins. He's not afraid of any of that. And then finally, um, don't worry, I only got a, an hour's worth of material. <laughs> I just, you say you'll be back. We'll just sit here and wait. <laughs> no. The third thing is, and this is really the secret sauce. And this is the hardest. Invite somebody else into your disappointment. You, you need a brother and a sister <clears throat> who actually hears what's going on inside of you. So I said earlier that I grew up in a home where my mom was an addict, and it was a crazy house. Like, I'm, when I say it's a crazy house, it, it was a crazy house. Maybe some of you grew up like that, where there was no supervision they had no interest in the kids in our family. I mean, it was like Lord of the Flies in our neighborhood. Like even as little kids, we'd go out in the summertime and play and not come back until like 10 o'clock at night as like a seven-year-old. And no parents like, where have you been? We've been worried. Like it was none of that. It was crazy. In fact, here's one of the weird things that started to happen. When, when the primary lovers of your soul, your parents when they have no interest in you, as a little child, you begin to think, oh, the way this works is I should have interest in you. Like, you're not caring for me. The way this should work is I should care for you. And so you become hyper alert to whatever's going on with your parents, and you start to meet their needs. Like, you start to care for them. Like, I can't even tell you on how many levels and how much codependency comes out of that and how broken and messed up that is. And here's the crazy thing. When I graduated from college, I was a Christian. God had saved me out of this crazy life of drugs and alcohol and all this stuff in a way that I could tell you about it. And we'd all say, that's Jesus. That's the Jesus I know. Because he came looking for me. When I became a Christian, I had never met a Christian. I didn't know a Christian. Uh, I could tell you a story another time. But when I graduated from college, I thought my family... After four years of discipleship, I thought my family was normal until I got married. And my wife would look at me and go, you see how crazy that is, right? What? What? We are not going to stay the night with your parents. Our children are not going to your parents' house. You know that, right? What? Here's the crazy thing. I have the capacity to embrace crazy as if it's normal. 
And if I don't have a sane person in my life walking the streets of my thoughts and looking at me and going, bro, that's crazy. You're in trouble. You will, you will run from your disappointment. You'll medicate your disappointment. You'll minimize your desires. See, every one of you grew up in a family that taught you stuff. I call it the Ten Commandments of your family. And the Ten Commandments are like, what did your family teach you about sex? You all, you could, we all could talk about it. Like, when you left, you left with a philosophy about sex. It may have been, never talk about it. It's dirty. Turn out the lights. If we get married, don't ever talk about it. Like, what was the philosophy? What was the Ten Commandments your family gave you about money? Spend every penny you got. Or some of you don't spend any of it. Like, I don't know. Every one of you inherited stuff about work, about play. Like, man, I wish if we had all day, if this was a seminar, we could go around the room and say, what did your family teach you about how to fight? Because they did. And guess what? <clears throat> if we rushed all of you out of here and I brought all your spouses in here and said, what did their parents teach them about fighting? They'd be able to tell you. Because as Pete Scazzaro says, you know, I got Jesus in my heart, but I got grandpa in my bones. And here's the thing, is that we have been born into a new family. And in this new family, we need each other. And this new family has a new way of living. And sometimes I have to see what's crazy to learn how to put it down so that I can pick up what is fresh and new. So i gotta, I got to have the courage to walk into my own disappointment. Guys, that's not the scary place. That's where the sweet stuff is. Because Jesus meets us in that place, and that's the place we invite each other into. You know, in Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded <clears throat> by such a great cloud of witnesses, brothers and sisters, those that have gone before us, the saints that are among us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Crazy town. So that we can reclaim the sanity of repentance and experience the power of renewal. So that we can run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? on Jesus. And who is this Jesus? He's the pioneer and he's the perfecter of our faith. And there's one thing that the writer of Hebrews wants you to know about that Jesus, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And you know what the joy was? You. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What is the joy of the Lord? You. You're his joy. That's why in Zephaniah it says, he rejoices over you with singing. He rejoices over you with singing. And if that's our God, that we're his joy, him stepping into that place of disappointment actually teaches us that joy and sadness walk hand in hand, that joy and hurt walk hand in hand, that joy and grief are brothers. They're not separate from one another. And now it begins to get all this technicolor to our lives to where we can live as the Father's joy. All right, I'll tell you this last story and then I'm done. I was over on 8th Avenue the other day, the Exxon, uh, right there on the corner of Edge Hill and 8th Avenue. You might know where it is. Went in there to get gas and uh, had to make my way to the bathroom. And I go and open it up, and the guy that was in there forgot to lock the door. <clears throat> he was a one-staller, you know? And, uh, and it's a guy who, he, I, he had to be pushing 80, all right? And... Uh, 
And I open the door, and he's standing in front of the mirror, and he's just doing this right here, like that. And I'm like, oh, hey, if you've ever been on 8th Avenue, that's possible, all right? It, you just never know what you're going to get. The cards could come out anyway. And I'm stepping back, and I'm going, ooh, ooh, okay, crazy, crazy. You know, that's okay, but I love crazy. And uh, he came out, and he's just kind of moving, you know? And um, so I walk into the bathroom thinking, that guy is out of his mind. Until I stepped into the bathroom. Right above the mirror is a speaker. And what they were playing was earth, wind, and fire. Do you remember? And guess what happened? As soon as I heard the music, I just started moving. <laughs> Made sure the door was locked. But I started moving. Because here's the crazy thing is that when you have the courage to be you, and you have the courage to let Jesus into that part of you, and then, guys, you have the courage to let another person come into your life and help you to sanity, you start hearing the music. And in ministry, we know all the words, but seldom do we hear the music because we're so committed to other people's health that we forget about ourselves completely. But when you start hearing the music, it changes what you do. Now you start dancing. Now you start learning this word, no. That is a powerful word in ministry. No. We start learning words like yes. And then we start learning something that if we had time, we could talk about this. We have a part to play in the kingdom of God. But it's not God's part. And the people we minister to, they have their part. That's not my part. My part is my part. God's part is his part. And other people, that is their part. They have to be accountable and now ministry becomes less about building my kingdom and just about dancing with the one who's playing the music. So I know I've said a lot, um, covered a lot of ground, and uh, just encourage you guys if uh, there's anything that I said that, um, that you can't remember, it may not be because the Holy Spirit wants you to remember that, but maybe there's one thing right now that the Lord... Um, has used in what I've said, just one thing um, that the Lord has got you here for, because that's how intentional our Father is. He is looking for you. So why don't we just pause for a minute and just get quiet for a second. If it helps, close your eyes. If it doesn't, don't. Um, but just in this one moment, is the Lord... Uh, taken even just one thing that I said just one word that would bump you to a new track today one word that would dare you to receive that your father is looking for you more than you're looking for him Father, it is, it's hard sometimes in a busy world. A lot of these folks here have children, and their lives are very demanding and fast. It's hard sometimes to slow down. It seems like a waste of time sometimes to ask what's really going on inside of me. 
But Lord, I thank you that um, you didn't make us robots to get through the day. You made us in your image. And then Christ, you have changed us from dead people to fully alive people. Ambassadors for the kingdom of light, that we would be those that dance in this city and all over this part of the South. Jesus, enter into that place in us that we experience disappointment. You're not afraid of it. You might even increase it. And teach us how to experience your presence, your comfort, your compassion, your healing, your joy there. And Lord, maybe there's one person in this room that says, I'm tired of hiding. It's, it's finally time for there to be another human on this planet that knows what's going on inside my head and my heart. It's crazy, Lord. Our thoughts are a bad neighborhood. And we need people to walk with us through it. So maybe, Lord, there's even just one person that's going to make that phone call today. That's going to call that old friend or that person that offered a year ago or that mentor or that neighbor or that person that has just enough trust to where finally we can come out and be honest and let somebody else kind of speak into the insanity of our lives. And through repentance and renewal, Lord, you bring us back to the sanity of your love for us. And I pray for these mighty men and women, Lord, as they uh, are serving you today, that, Father, they, they would not miss uh, your desire to pour out on them your compassion, your love, and your kindness, that what they give to others would be an overflow of the abundance of what you give them. Let us be receivers. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know what's next, so I won't pretend. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. Thank you so much. Um, one thing I'd encourage y'all to do um, as I was doing this myself uh, is thinking through the three different aspects that most of us carry, um, personal, pastoral, and professional hats that we wear. Um, and in some relationships, we wear all three of those with the people around us. In some, it's just one or two. Um, but work through those that, that middle layer of that cake, um, the disappointments part, um, and write down, do some journaling, do some thinking and praying. Where in those areas are you disappointed professionally um, in, in, in ministry, um, <clears throat> with your job, if you're a pastor, you're someone's boss, and so forth. Um, if you're in real estate, you're a boss, for instance. Um, and then pastorally, the disappointments that you might have in ministry. And then personally, just with yourself, with your marriage, um, the mirror, what goes on in the inside of your mind, some, some places of disappointment. Um, but do some journaling, do some thinking, some praying, because that is huge, um, adjusting that disappointment layer of that cake, um, not ignoring it. And then also thinking through what does sanctification look like with that middle layer of the disappointments that we have. They need to be navigated and dealt with, but there's also sanctifying effects of that disappointment. Um, so it's not all bad. It's not pointless. It needs to be processed and, and thought through. And I love that our, our thoughts are a bad neighborhood. 
Um, you never want to go there by yourself. And so bringing community in is vital. But Randy, thank you so much, man. Always a privilege uh, to learn from you and, and hear from you. And uh, thanks for taking some time. You've been listening to the audio from a third Thursday gathering of pastors and church leaders visiting the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. To learn more, visit theaxischurch.org.